This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. The election's over, the race is decided, the transition started, but... When we should be celebrating um, the success of democracy, instead we're two and a half weeks after the election being drugged through a absurd process. And that process has left U.S. national security in a serious situation. The, the, the president's behavior has, has just continued to create challenges and issues for the U.S. intelligence community. Former Deputy Director of DIA Douglas Wise, now that the incoming president, Joe Biden, is getting daily intelligence briefings, what's he seeing? Joe Biden is seeing Donald Trump's president's daily brief. PDB expert David Priest explains, coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. You know the story. The election was over on November 3rd. We know who the winner is. We've known for a while. It's Joe Biden. But he's just now getting access to the transition materials and the intelligence briefings and all of the tools he's going to need to become the next president of the United States. All the while, since then, it now being a full month since the election, a lot of damage has been done to the U.S. national security and the intelligence community because of it. On this podcast, we hear about it from three experts, starting with Senator Mark Warner, vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Well, if we go back 45 days, when we were approximately 30 days before the election, I and our intelligence community, our law enforcement agencies, were concerned about major foreign intervention. We were afraid about people showing up with long guns and potentially trying to intimidate voters at the polls. We are afraid of violence in the days coming up or the days immediately after the election. The remarkable thing is, you know, Americans stood up for our democracy. They voted in record numbers both for Joe Biden and Donald Trump. The foreign intervention, because of good work of our intelligence and law enforcement community, was prevented. Um, The elections basically went off without hitch. And when we should be celebrating um, the success of democracy, instead we're two and a half weeks after the election being drugged through a absurd process by an egomaniac who is not accepting the will of the people. And what should have been a great celebration, he is trying, Donald Trump is trying to undermine at every turn in ways that are clearly anti-democratic. And in many ways, 
are playing exactly into the wish list of Vladimir Putin and other adversaries of this country who, at the end of the day, want to undermine American faith and our democracy. Senator, some say this is an attempted coup by the president, and it's being supported by allies who won't break with him and won't tell him, hey, knock it off. And I'm wondering how you, uh, if you think that's true, and if so, how that impacts the Senate moving forward. Well, like so many things Donald Trump attempts, if it is an attempted coup, it is, it is almost um, comic in its ineptness. Um, and, you know, every time that uh, Mr. Giuliani comes on TV, uh, I, I think sensible people around the country and for that matter around the world just have to shake their heads. I am bitterly disappointed that so few of my Republican colleagues who at first said, you know, give him a few days, it'll just be his ego, let him have his temper tantrum, you know, that 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 period has passed and they are now enablers of someone who is, you know, ultimately destructive to our democracy. So I think history, I think, I hope their voters will remember this because they are not serving the constitution. Matter of fact, by enabling um, Trump's antics, they are in many ways undermining the constitution or the piece about Russia. Several years ago, you were one of the first people to tell us how Russia was trying to undermine the U.S. using social media. And we did our series, Anatomy of a Russian Attack. You were the, the first person to sound the alarm saying, this is what they're doing. This is how they're doing it. This is what they want. Since then, you know, several reports have come out, including one from the Senate, uh, on this. And one of the things that was pointed out in all of the reports was that a part of what Russia was trying to do was to sow seeds of discord. What it appears to me to be happening now is those seeds have grown up. What do you think about that? Well, I think that Russia, while they favored Donald Trump, they more favored sowing chaos in our country. And I think our intelligence community got better at spotting it. The social media companies got better at taking it down. Uh, they still made efforts, but you know, why do you need to originate this kind of activity out of St. Petersburg or Moscow when it's being originated out of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? You don't need foreign disinformation when you have disinformation coming out of the guy sitting in the White House. I mean, it's, um, it, it's, you, you wouldn't, you know, no one would have rationally believed this a couple years ago that an American president would be literally playing out um, Vladimir Putin's wish list in terms of um, his efforts to undermine our, our country's faith in democracy. And what's so, it, what's so obvious is, you know, this um, compulsion has taken over everything that Mr. Trump is doing, all of his enablers. He doesn't even make the pretense that he cares about the people who are getting sick and dying. He doesn't even make the pretense that he thought through the um, drawdown on our troops in Afghanistan, leaving our Afghan and 30 plus NATO and other allies holding the bag, his cutting and running there. 
um, again, uh, which will besmirch America's honor and reputation. He, you know, he, he, he goes about willy-nilly firing um, national security officials like Chris Krebs, who did a great job protecting the integrity of our election. And I, I'm fearful that, you know, with Congress out of session through, um, uh, through Thanksgiving, that his next, um, his next victims may be the director of the FBI or the director of the CIA or other national security leaders who have the audacity to uh, continue to try to do their jobs and tell the truth. What's the way that people who are serving, considering what you just said may happen while Congress is out of session, what is the, the optimal way to stop this? Because it clearly is a national security threat of uh, him making these kinds of changes um, while essentially there's no one supposedly watching on the Hill. You know, it, it's a great question. And uh, I've been asking that and probing you know, you could potentially have um, senior officials refuse to resign or refuse to take the orders of being fired, but that would cause a constitutional crisis. Um, you know, th- th- these could be the, uh, some of the m- most dangerous next 55 or 60 days uh, of our recent country's history if, um, if Trump continues to act so irresponsibly and, you know, what, what I hear from some of my Republican colleagues is, well, they don't, he doesn't listen to them anymore. Um, so anyone that he, uh, this, you know, megalomaniac is still willing to listen to, um, if they care anything about the country, if they have any pretense of being patriots, um, ought to be weighing in. Clearly, um, the idea that some of his family were going to be you know, we're going to have you know, rational governors on him. That that has been dismissed. Um, I just can't underestimate um, how dangerous this period we're in. Senator Mark Warner, putting in context the view from the intelligence community in Capitol Hill, the situation the U.S. finds itself in right now. Pivoting to the intelligence community or a former member of the community, we go to Doug Wise, who was at the CIA for 30 plus years and became deputy director of the Defense Intelligence Agency. Well, I think the the president's behavior, particularly in the recent contemporary behavior, you know, has 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 just continued to create challenges and issues for the U.S. intelligence community. So it it does, in fact, affect American national security and the safety and welfare of the American people, because, you know, what should happen is transition members should be able to engage with incumbents at all levels, you know, at all appropriate levels, and to be able to understand you know, what are the threats? What are the issues? Where are the challenges? Where have there been, you know, seeds planted for success? And so that the incoming administration can make an informed decision regarding, you know, the previous administration's approach to, to national security. And they can make changes if they wish. They can terminate initiatives. They can start ones that weren't started under the incumbent administration. So the fact that we can't, we have no connective tissue at the appropriate levels between the U.S. intelligence community and the, and, and the incoming administrations 
intelligence officials, I think does have a significant effect on U.S. national security. How specifically, I think you know the current CIA director pretty well, Gina Haspel. Um, How is that impacting her ability to get her work done, considering as well one of the things that's been out there during the course of this transition? And a part of why I mentioned that mentioning this is because of what I was saying about the president's behavior. He has been obsessed with saying that this election was stolen from him. And anybody that says anything counter to that is either fired or threatened to be fired. And one of the things that I do know that's been supposedly on his plate is possibly firing the CIA director. And that would have a direct impact on the U.S. during this transition and national security in the IC. But what's your view on that? Well, yeah, obviously, any disruption at a cabinet level uh, creates, you know, particularly with the CIA director, if she was summarily fired, uh, you know, just peremptorily fired with no legitimate justification, uh, it, it would create a disruption both within the her level of interaction required for U.S. national security, as well as rippling down through the agency as well. Uh, I think, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if if Trump was just waiting for the the most disruptive moment to remove Gina Haspel, who has done nothing to deserve removal at all, at least from the outside. Uh, You know, obviously, I'm not an insider and I don't talk to anybody on the inside who would know. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, she is, you know, protected the agency. She's managed it well. Uh, she's appeared to have created a modus vivendi with one of the most difficult customers in the history of CIA, I think. So she's done nothing at all to merit getting fired. But then again, neither did Chris Krebs, and he got fired. So, uh, you know, be interesting to see. If the attorney general goes, then I think that Gina is likely to go. And that'll all be done out of spite and just out of anger and striking out at every aspect of America that the president believes is, has, has failed to keep him in office. So she survived so far. She appears to be on, you know, at least reasonable footing. But then again, you know, the, the problem is, for example, is you can have the close confidants. The president, let's, I'll, I'll just make this up. Uh, let's assume that Trump really doesn't care whether Gina comes or goes, you know, that she's not that important to him. Uh, she may be critically important to the agency, critically important to the IC. He might acknowledge that, but not important to him personally. Again, I'm just making this up. And yet surrounding him are the family members, the inner circle, uh, you know, the informal advisors who we take. And they have issues with Gina. And next thing you know, they go in and go, hey, boss, she's got to go. And he goes, OK, so tell her she's fired. Biden's road ahead. What do you think that looks like from a national security and intelligence community point of view? Well, I think it's going to be an integrated administration when it comes to national security. You're not going to have as much of the independence of action uh, that existed under Trump that was just because that's he didn't care. Uh, and the fact that the agencies just, you know, 
hunkered down into their own silos for self-protection and uh, tried to stay out of the line of fire. I think if you're looking at what the president-elect Biden is trying to do, is he's trying to build a, uh, a leadership team that is, A, as he said, reflective of America and the diversity of America and the diversity, not only ethnicity, but of talent and experience that is reflective of America. But he's also trying to build a team that he knows will work well together and can integrate their actions and activities of the agency so that you could have informed decision-making at the agency IC DNI level and that the president of the United States can be put in a position where he has an integrated, coordinated, well thought out, you know, set of foreign policies that all the agencies can align behind and and have an integrated approach to supporting what the president wants to do. So I think it's integration. I think I think that's that's the way forward for Biden. It's going to be a deep, a demanded and deep integration. What about relationship? The president currently does not have a good relationship with the uh, the IC. What about with Biden? Uh, I think a president-elect Biden, I think he has one uh, a tremendous regard and admiration for the intelligence community. Um, I had a number of personal interactions with him and he was reflective and at every step of the way with his admiration for the women and men who were who were acting to keep him and President Obama informed. Uh, so I think he himself understands the value that the IC brings to enabling him to make informed national security decisions. He understands the value of that. He understands the contribution that the leadership and the followership of the IC makes and the sacrifices and the hard work that is necessary so that he can benefit and make the best decisions for America when it comes to national security. Mm. Um, Russia, how does a new president change the threat from Russia? We know how the current president uh, relates to Vladimir Putin and Moscow, and we know what Moscow is trying to do and try to achieve in the last four years. How does a new president, and specifically this president, uh, Joe Biden, President-elect Joe Biden, change the calculus for Russia? Well, I think Russia won't have the ability to manipulate the most senior levels of the American government. I think that's gone. I think you've got a, a, a pragmatic, realistic president who's not affected by either personal, political, or business relationships with the Russian Federation. And so this is a, going to be a sea state change for Vladimir Putin. It's going to be a lot tougher for him. And yet, at the same time, you're going to have regime loyalists and you're going to have remnants of the Trump regime who are going to be out there and still willing to sign up to the Russian foreign policy objectives in the United States of America. You're going to have Senator Ron Johnson, class people, who are going to be a hazard to keeping America safe. And you're going to have media apparatus. You're going to have a lot of people that are going to be very sensitive and very willing and be able to be manipulated by the Russian disinformation machine. But in terms of being able to manipulate and leverage the White House, that's gone. That's gone when, when President Biden 
you know, takes office. Now let's take a look at what President-elect Joe Biden is hearing right now from the intelligence world as he's preparing to move into the role as president. And for that, we turn to David Priest, who used to brief presidents when he was at the Central Intelligence Agency. As president-elect, Joe Biden is seeing Donald Trump's president's daily brief. That is, until January 20th, when the presidency turns over, the PDB is written and formatted for the style and preferences of Donald Trump, who has chosen to share it with the president-elect and the vice president-elect. Therefore, he is seeing the intelligence analysis that is deemed most useful to the current commander-in-chief. That's fine. It gets Joe Biden up to speed on various intelligence stories from around the world that he clearly has uh, four years away from. Um, But it does not give him everything that he needs to get up to speed because those are ongoing stories that presumably have been in the PDB for some of the intervening years. Therefore, Joe Biden's PDB is being supplemented by intelligence briefers with other material, background memos, oral briefings that bring Joe Biden up to speed, that get him from point A, which is where he left off on these stories as he left the vice presidency in um, 2017, to where the story is now without a lot of that context on the paper that he's reading. That way he will understand the full story on all of these issues before he takes the oath of office. How do the people that are doing these supplemental briefings for him know what to brief him on? Are these folks cleared? Are they uh, read into the daily brief that the president gets? So how would they know what it is that they need to talk to him about to bring him up to speed? For decades, the intelligence community has positioned at the locations of both of the major presidential candidates, teams that are prepared to brief the winning candidate as soon as possible after election day. And there's no doubt that that was true this year as well. Of course, there was some delay in the president allowing the president-elect to see the president's daily brief this year, but the intelligence officers there on site in Delaware to brief Joe Biden are fully cleared intelligence community personnel who are intelligence briefers, just like the president and other senior officials in this administration are seeing. They have access to all of the classified information they need to supplement Biden's briefing and to make sure that they get him up to speed on the issue. Most likely what they will be doing is looking at each article or each item that's in the president's daily brief and saying, does this tell the complete story or does this build on other pieces of intelligence that may have come before in the weeks or months preceding that we need to do a summary of to ensure that the president-elect understands the context for the analysis? Is this typically these briefings, are they something that usually take a set amount of time or is this something that is sort of built into the schedule of the person that's getting them? Um, Are they sometimes broken up over the course of a day or does this all happen at one time? How these briefings for the president-elect and the vice president-elect are organized depends on the schedules of 
two very busy people right now, uh, which are Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. They have many things to do, having to do with the transition, having to do with identifying and nominating people for senior positions, phone calls with foreign leaders, other domestic political issues. So they're very busy people. They will work with the intelligence teams to ensure that they get the briefings when they need them. And it's up to them to decide how much time they're going to spend with the intelligence. It has varied in the past with some incoming presidents spending an immense amount of time with the daily intelligence and others reading it a little more quickly. But to date, uh, all of them in the modern era have used the transition to get up to speed on intelligence issues and prepare for the issues that will confront them when they are the commander in chief. I know that you're not uh, getting this classified information. At least I don't think you may be. I'll let you decide and tell us if you will. Um, So I'm not sure what it is that um, you know in terms of what President-elect Biden is seeing um, or President Trump. But I'm interested in your thoughts on what you think might be the most pressing intelligence issues and concerns that uh, the president-elect is seeing. I am no longer privy to classified information, so I have no idea what specific items are in the president's daily brief now or are the subject of conversations with the president-elect and the vice president-elect. But based on the past, it is reasonable to assume that all of the issues that are making the headlines will have some coverage within the intelligence materials. This would include things like the assassination in Iran of a senior nuclear scientist, things like North Korean nuclear developments, the politics of Russia and European allies, the Chinese military adventurism in East Asia, the pandemic, terrorism, you name it. If it's something that has hit the headlines recently, there probably is some intelligence analysis that sheds more light on it than we are seeing but you also would be surprised by some of the things in there. Some of the things that classified intelligence is giving the intelligence community insight into, which we just don't see, but their goal is to keep the president ahead of things, to give him a heads up about a potential threat to US national security, or to identify opportunities to expand United States influence and meet national security goals Some of those things might not be in the headlines, but they certainly would be in the daily intelligence report to help the president get ahead of those things. David Priest is a former CIA officer who used to deliver the president's daily brief. He's also author of the president's book of secrets. He served during the Bill Clinton and George W. Bush administrations. Coming up on our next episode of Target USA, we'll be back to the transition and the latest developments on Who's got what position in the intelligence community and the national security community and what that means for the safety and the future of the country moving forward? In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments, send me an email at jgreen at WTOP.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. jgreen at WTOP.com. Also, we'd like to invite you to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast, at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. 
And also, if you want more national security news, sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Eagles Hall of Fame quarterback Ron Jaworski, and I am so excited to bring you the hottest new podcast for the NFL and gaming. Welcome to Jaws Picks, featuring me, Ron Ron Jaworski, and some of the most famous names in sports, music, and entertainment, as I give you my expert analysis and predictions of each and every NFL game. (coughs) So far this season, my predictions are over 55% correct against against the spread. spread. That's a pretty good number, folks and over 67% picking winners straight Straight up. up. You do not want to miss out on this podcast. Every week, I will tell you who, how, and why each NFL game will be decided. (coughs) Take the guesswork and stress out of gaming and subscribe to Jaws Picks wherever you get your podcast. That's Jaws Picks wherever you get your podcast. Stay safe, take care, and let's make some beer money. (coughs) Now. Stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.